Welcome to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea Podcast. I'm Danny Sheriff, your host, certified fertility awareness practitioner, functional nutrition counselor, and founder of the HA Society, and of course, an HA recovery coach who has walked where you currently are walking. This is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly. This podcast aims to educate, inform, and keep you motivated on your period and HA recovery track. So let's dive in. But last thing, nothing on the show should be taken as medical advice. So please seek the advice of your physician. Are you listening to this show hoping to get some golden nuggets to help you on your way to recovery? Well, great. I hope that you find them because that is exactly what this show is for. But if you really want to take your recovery all the way, completely commit and get on track with your goals, whether they be finally feeling overall healthy, finally getting pregnant, or finally getting back to training, you'll want to join us inside of the HA Society. Not only is this the perfect community to ask questions and get your support and the accountability that you so often need during these uphill battles with body image and understanding nutrition and incorporating exercise, but it's also a hub of exclusive resources for HAs. All of the HA podcast episodes are released in advance and completely ad-free, so you can listen on the go to the raw, unedited versions, uninterrupted. All of the one-on-one coaching calls, of which we have two a week in different time zones, are uploaded to our private podcast feed so that you can listen to events with practitioners and the past community calls as though they were bonus podcast episodes, because I know how much you love to listen to this kind of stuff. And in these calls, we cover requested topics like overcoming your weight gain fears, communicating with friends and family about RHA, diving into how HA works, and debunking the imposter syndrome that so many of us have around this diagnosis. There's also an entire resources section with lectures, workshops, and training from the past events that are hosted by experts like Sarah Liz King, Laura Lyons, Kaylee McDevitt, Holly Dunn, and many more. As a member, you also get direct access to myself and Coach Ashley in the DMs. So if you have personal questions or need individualized advice about your recovery, we're in there answering your questions in the DMs, as are all of our other members in the group who impress me week after week with how they show up for each other. It's incredible. It's like women are just all becoming mini coaches for each other. It's so good. The HA Society is really the place to be if you're going through recovery, no matter what stage you're at. Whether you have HA or you've got a few recovery periods, we have your back and we're all your new best friends. So come and meet us at thehasociety.com forward slash join. That's thehasociety.com forward slash join and the link is in the show notes for you okay on with the show hey everyone welcome back to the podcast oh oh, i lost my mouth (laughs) i can't hear you it has like a loose cord that just like oh so it just falls out (laughs) okay (laughs) Yes, welcome back. Um, we're excited. We're excited today. I'm recording this on a Sunday. I never record episodes on a Sunday. Sunday's my day off. But I really 
wanted to make this one work. And this was just what was best for today's guest and I. So the reason I was excited is because Sammy, do you want your whole name or are you just like, are you an alias? What just, do you do? Just give me a first name. Sammy. Right. <laughs> Sammy. Uh, actually had primary amenorrhea, meaning she never had a period ever. And I know as a fact that there are some people listening who also have that story. Um, and it's just important to to speak to that story. And it just like is really exciting. So she's going to talk about that today, where it started and when she got her first period and how old she was and all that stuff. Um, but I just want you guys to know that I'm really, really excited about this. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. Welcome, Sammy. Hey, Danny. Uh, thanks for having me on. And thanks for taking your Sunday to <laughs> allow me to get onto the podcast. You guys, so... I'm here on a Sunday. That's how serious this is. <laughs> you made it work. <laughs> yes. So tell us, uh, kick off for us, Sammy, like when, where do you think this story begins? Because the thing with, Amenor- primary menorrhea is it obviously begins before puberty so what well, lay it on me yeah so for my case it all goes back to the beginning of my eating disorder um so i've struggled with anorexia for about 15 years and it developed right around age 12 which makes sense why the primary amenorrhea started because eating disorder kind of started right around seventh grade. Um, And then I had lost a significant amount of weight and I just basically postponed the, the entire process of, of puberty and getting my period. And uh, it's interesting when, when an eating disorder starts that early on, it's kind of, it's the most this waiting game. You think, okay, well, yeah, I lost the weight, but I'm still young, so maybe the period would come when I was, you know, 14 or 15 or 16 or 17. But by the time I was getting into that 17, yeah, 17, 18 year old range, uh, that's when the concerns started happening. Um, and that's when you start doing all the, all the tests, go to all the doctors, you know, get get the um, the suggestion to go on to the pill. That was, you know, that was one thing that I think is a bit different from my case between other people's cases who may struggle with primary amenorrhea, where they might've just gone on to birth control really early on, because that's kind of what society deems is the thing to do. Um, But for me, I I actually never went on birth control because I never had a period. And usually I think you need one period or something to indicate, okay, I should go on this because that's what people do to, you know, for whatever reason uh, they decide to. But um, for me, not, going on birth control and then also being 17 18 the doctors was just like oh we'll just go on birth control and your cycle will start um but i'm sure we all know that that's not really what happens right so i assume they think that it's i assume they use verbiage like we can just kind of coax it out with this and then and then it will and you're just like okay the doctor says that's fine right but i think you have like parents or a dad who is like no like not quite not quite what everyone what most people have have experienced so I think he probably played a big role right and you not yes 
Yes. And that, that's a good segue because that's what it was. It was, you know, if it were just me going to the doctor's office, being kind of a scared, you know, 18 year old and not knowing what to do, you just follow what the doctor tells you, which I'm sure many people in, you know, the HA world have, have done. And now knowing how detrimental the pill can actually be, it was nice that my dad was sort of on the, on the front of, okay, let's not go that route. Let's see if we can get it back naturally. Let's see if we can beat the eating disorder because really we knew deep down that it was the anorexia that was causing the lack of period. I mean, it was pretty clear that I was underweight and wasn't fueling enough. And I was a very athletic kid and up now into adulthood where, you know, the combination of under fueling and exercising a lot, you know, and doing sport, it was just the perfect combination to, you know, prolong the lack of getting a period. So, but yeah, my dad was definitely my advocate um, through a lot of this journey because I was also very, you know, I had a lot of shame and guilt behind the anorexia. And I think many people experience that. I didn't, I wasn't able to, it's actually funny. I'm on this podcast now because prior, I would have never been able to talk about anorexia in my experience. I would always just be in immediate tears and it would be silence. And it was just, I didn't know how to talk about it. Um, so being on here is, is quite growth for me, I think, but, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think kind of just circling back, I mean, that's where it started. Um, but the problem was I could never fully get into a mindset of recovery. So it was, the anorexia was pretty bad until about the start of high school. And then my dad really, you know, my parents both were really worried about me. My dad really encouraged me to try to start to weight restore, get healthy, because there was kind of this idea of, you know, if you want to keep doing the sports that you're doing and you want to go to school and you want to, you know, you want to avoid going to any kind of inpatient situation. I mean, and it was a combination of not wanting to lose the things I loved, but also the fear of maybe going into an inpatient center, which I'd heard about, and I just didn't want that. So that, and then the fact that the anorexia kind of gives you that perfectionism type mentality where you're like, okay, well, you know, I, I'm kind of living with this anorexia, but at the same time, I want to try to defeat it because my parent is, you know, encouraging me to do so. and I don't want to disappoint them. So that was huge for me. Um, and so around ninth grade, sophomore year, I started to actually weight restore. Um, and it was surprising because I weight restored pretty, pretty well. And actually to the point where my dad felt confident enough that I could, I played basketball and, um, did like just random activities on my own, but he actually let me start running in junior year and senior year of high school. And I would have never been able to do that being at a low weight. So, you know, I was at a quote unquote healthy enough weight to, to go and, and, you know, do more sport than I was originally doing, um, but still no period. And, and I wasn't experiencing any other bad effects at the time of not having a period and having many years of, you know, being underfueled which was interesting, right? Because when you don't have a lot of symptoms, injuries or, you know, I don't know, certain illnesses or sicknesses or any kind of effects like that, you kind of think that you're normal and you're doing okay. And that was big for me. So um, yeah, that was definitely kind of what made it seem okay at the end of high school. You know, I was like, I was weight restored. I'm doing all the sports I want to do. Everything's good. Um, but then what happened was going into college, right? I mean, it's another like big transition. I've always dealt with a little bit of anxiety and stress and, you know, very worried um, about new situations. So 
Um, and on top of that, I was on my own. So by the time I hit sophomore year of undergrad, I kind of relapsed again and it got pretty bad. Um, I basically got down to a very similarly low weight that I had previously and um, I couldn't get out of it. I was very mentally in it at that time. And since my dad wasn't there all the time to kind of watch over me and, you know, help me with the food and everything, I, you know, it was really easy to fall back into that. So that's kind of where I ended at the, at the end of um, like my undergrad and it went into grad school. And then that's sort of like around college is when everything started, I started experiencing the symptoms of the amenorrhea and the lack of fuel and everything. Um, so it started building up on each other. And I don't know how, how much you want me to go into all of that, but if anything's. I think you know what is important for someone else in your situation, maybe even better than I'm going to. So yeah. I'm going to say that, touch on it for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think the biggest thing for me was going through all of this, you always try to look around and see if there's other people out there with the same situation, you know, being 20, 21, 22, 23 with no period, um, being athletic, you know, having gone through an eating disorder, attempted recovery, you're like, is there anyone else out there who's done that? And sure enough, there are, but you, it's hard to find stories about that because either people don't put that information out there or it's, you know, I don't know if they do recover, maybe they don't share something afterwards. So for mm -hmm. people out there who are experiencing similar things, hopefully, you know, I can provide some hope and insight and uh, let you know that it is possible to get out of it. Um, but for me, a lot of the stuff that sort of triggered me wanting to get into a recovery mindset was the pain and the injuries and the, the low energy. And then all of a sudden, certain things that were being picked up by doctors and blood work and all that. So I would say beginning of undergrad, I kind of just dealt with a bunch of random issues. I actually got like a chronic sort of chest shoulder injury um, doing CrossFit at the end of high school into college. Um, so that was kind of the initial injury and that just never seemed to heal. It was just always there. And it was something I just kind of worked through, continued to lift through, continued to do sports through. Um, but then I started to get weird injuries, you know, in my feet, like weird nerve pains. And then I got, you know, toward the end of undergrad, beginning of grad school, I was running and biking a lot. So I got knee injuries. I had an ankle injury. Um, then I got into rock climbing, got elbow tendonitis in both my elbows. So, I mean, it's just this laundry list of injuries and pains preventing me from doing the things I wanted to do. And I'm sure people out there are probably thinking, well, you know, the same mindset that I was in at the time where I was like, well, as long as I do PT and I do rolling out and I do my stretches and I do all the things that everyone else does, my injuries will get better. But I was missing the main component of nutrients and fuel. And so it didn't matter how much I did recovery, you know, wise, if I didn't have the fuel or the energy my body wasn't recovery you mean like pt kind of type of recovery yes yes like recovery yeah. modalities um that mm. a person who is you know fueling properly either they get an injury they go to pt and then several months later you know that was like all my friends and in college i would always if i was with a you know one of my climbing friends they would get an injury they would always go oh yeah just go to pt and 
you know, three months, you know, I was good to go. So I would always tell them I'm doing plenty of PT. I'm doing all of that, you know, missing the, the key part of eating enough, basically. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, huge. I think that that's also an important message for anyone too, that is generally dealing with like, um, oh, I'm going to focus on my injuries first. Like I'm going, you know, really avoiding the, see, I feel like you weren't necessarily fully avoiding. A lot of it was just like subconscious avoiding. I don't know. It wasn't like fully intentional, but yeah, a lot of people are just like, no, I'm going to sort this out first. I'm going to get through this first. I'm going to, and it's like, no, you know, all of those things slowly become easier and better when you recover. However, um, they're still really, really hard. So I'm very interested to hear. I got to like go through a lot of it with you, which was really mm-hmm. like, not necessarily with you, but to check in at various points and see how you're doing. Um, and I think it was, it's been cool. Cause I feel like it's been two years or something like that. Something like mm-hmm. really long, yep. maybe, maybe more like, I don't know, maybe more. Did I have a baby when we met? You did, but she was young. Okay. All right. Then it's been about two years. Mm-hmm. So fit like you started. I just want to like describe for people, at least when we met over the two years, like where you started with the recovery piece now, because we're now talking into, all right, I decided to like begin recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, where you started, like what you, what you were doing at the time. So you were doing injury management, yada, yada. Um, what were your first steps into recovery? What was hard? Mm-hmm. Was anything kind of easy? Um, and tell that as well, along with just like what kept you going? Because here's the thing. When someone like you comes into the picture and they're like, so listen, I've had an eating disorder my whole life. Never had a period. I don't think we've even mentioned you at that time, you're like 26 years old. Yep. Yeah. At that time. Yeah, I was 25 when we met. You're right. You were 25. Years. Okay. Um, like it's, you know, you meet these people and it's like, while I believe wholeheartedly they can do it, which is why I've always been attached to your story. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, I know that she can do it, but there's always going to be that like little part where like, well, I can't control you only she can do this oh you know and so you like you just you're just like is she gonna do it like can she do it? like can she overcome this massive ed you know and slowly mm-hmm. over time you did chipping away at like behaviors and fears and fears so i want to yeah. know about that chipping away process where did you start what did you have to chip away at what was hard what was easy like that whole thing okay yeah uh look to preface that i guess because something you you mentioned and caught caught my attention there and you were saying it's not that i didn't want to recover it was just that the the anorexia becomes so mentally taxing and it, it basically i don't it starts to make you behave in certain ways that you don't logically you logically understand that that's not what you want to do but the ed in order to keep itself safe and give you that control or, you know, whatever you're looking for with, with the disorder, um, it's, it's hard to let go of it. So, 
yeah, I, I knew that I needed to be doing more than rolling out, stretching all of that stuff. I knew I needed to address the eating disorder. For some reason, I couldn't. I couldn't do it at the time because A, I wasn't ready, you know, B, I was afraid, uh, you know, just list continuous reasons why I would be in denial of trying to, to get over something that, that major in it. And the disorder for me was something that did make me feel safe. And it was kind of, um, how would I describe it? It's kind of what I look to, to solve all my anxieties and worries and problems. Right. I mean, if I was stressed at school, I would just restrict or exercise a lot more and I would feel better, you know? So it wasn't so relatable to, by the way, at all, like you don't even have to have an ED to sometimes be like, you know, I feel like the holiday season has me like out of control and I just want to feel better about myself. So I'm just going Mm -hmm. to like diet or go for runs every day or something like that. Yeah. Yes. No, that's very true. Yeah. And I do, I do mention, you know, the ED being the root of this, but you're right. I mean, many people who deal with HA or just many people in general out in our society fluctuate back and forth between this diet, no diet, exercise a lot. That's why why we bring it up is because everyone's out there. Why everyone, a lot of people are out there listening, being like, yeah, but I don't have I don't have an ED. Right. So this isn't my problem. I was like, listen. Yeah, you kind of do. <laughs> like, yeah. I get it. But like, you you know, it's not on the, the like, you could stop a little easier, but right. it's still an issue. So, yep. yeah. Well, there's a spectrum, right? I mean, there's a spectrum of, of eating disorder behavior. You don't have to be diagnosed with an eating disorder to display eating disorder tendencies or you know, anything related to, to that sort of diet, exercise, mental stress relief, you know, mentality. And many people out there, men and women deal with it. So it's just how much is it affecting your day-to-day life, right? When do you need to really do something about it? Yeah. Most of the time it's sooner than later. So, uh, but yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I think for me that that was always in the back of my mind was that I knew the ED was what I needed to address. I knew the anorexia was the root of my problem, but I would look to anything else to try to fix it, you know, do this maybe in diet, you know, then you do the diet changes. I wasn't eating enough, but you try to, okay, if I add this in or take this out or do that, you know, and, and as if that was the main issue, but it wasn't. Um, So for me, what sparked, the beginning of the recovery process was after grad school, I was rock climbing a lot. I was, you know, I was just kind of took a break from school, took a break from going into job, into a job right away, about three or four months of just climbing, 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 doing outdoor activities, biking, running, doing whatever I, you know, I could squeeze in after all the schooling. Um, But then every injury toward the end of that four months just started to flare up. I just, everything was hurting really bad. And I was to the point where once the elbow injuries came in and my ankle injuries, it was getting difficult to climb. And that was my main goal and focus at the time. For some reason, my mentality was just on getting better at climbing. Mm -hmm. Once that was sort of taken away from me and I had just seen how much my life was being affected, like my physical and mental health. I I was extremely stressed and worried all the time. I wasn't sleeping. That was another thing. I wasn't sleeping well, even without the stress of school, didn't matter. I was always on high alert. Um, So I think that combination sort of was the initial trigger of, okay, I need to do something about this. So rock climbing was your 
um, I want to have a baby. Kind of, <laughs> where, yes, right? <laughs> we're like, I didn't get back to it. And you mourned it. It's such a similar way when I think about like our conversations, you know, you have mourned it in that way. I just mm-hmm. want to get there. I just want to put this behind me and like have that. Yes. Uh, so that is interesting. Okay. And it definitely sparked it. And that's not to say that the multitude of events leading up to that moment weren't also key in sort of getting me to push over that edge of recovery. Because obviously, as I mentioned, I mean, I attempted recovery a few times with my dad, but that's the thing. I was doing it for my dad. I wasn't really mm. doing it for me. And that's huge. I think people who try to recover and they try to do it to either appease someone or make someone think that they're going down the right path or you know, if anything that's not really for you and for bettering yourself and your health and your life, it's really hard to stick with it. It's not that you can't do it for a little bit. I did. I mean, I attempted to do it for a little while, but um, as soon as you're on your own and you're back in that stressful state and your anxieties come in and your thoughts come in and you don't have anyone to bounce anything off of and and you're not really recovering for you, it's so easy to just slip back into old behaviors, whether it's an ED or something else, you know? Um, so that was huge. That was huge for me. I think finally getting to a breaking point and they always talk about a rock bottom. Um, that was my first rock bottom because there were others too. I think that was my first major rock yeah. bottom um, where I just realized, oh, I can't do any of the activities, especially climbing anymore. So um, I was actually living up in, in Flagstaff, Arizona at the time because that's where I went to school. And I had decided to come home back to Phoenix, Arizona to live with my parents and really try to get into this recovery mode, whatever that meant at the time. Uh, so that like, I think was around 25, age 25, um, still no period. And I had actually, another trigger was I was climbing. This was about a year before uh, the, this attempt at recovery. A year prior, I had um, broken my collarbone rock climbing and I actually got a DEXA scan, my first ever DEXA scan. And that came back showing osteoporosis as a 25 year old, which you think would just scare the heck out of me. And it did. I was entirely freaked out. But for some reason, that wasn't the main, that was one of the triggers to sort of get to recovery. But like I said, it was a year before I even decided to to go into recovery. So I thought that was interesting. And, you know, like, why did I not just stop everything immediately? Right. And work on this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? No, it's to the point where I, I was, you know, I was in my sling recovering and I couldn't do anything, you know, that really jostled me around because your clavicle it just has to stay still, has to stay very still when you're healing. And so I would go on walks still. And I noticed even during that, I was still in that restriction mentality when my body needed even more caloric intake to try to heal that bone. But I just was in this mindset, I can't do what I normally do because I have a broken bone, so I can only walk. So I need to compensate. I mean, it was that, I was that deep into it where I wanted to recover and I saw this DEXA scan come back and it scared the heck out of me. And I, I, I don't know, it's just, it was very powerful. And I was still in grad school at the time. So I just, again, think I was going to the eating disorder and to those tendencies because of the stress of school and finishing up my thesis and doing all, you know, it was my go-to. It was kind of the safety blanket at the time. Um, so I think, you know, building up to it, but once the initial recovery started, uh, and I came back home to Phoenix, um, my dad had actually found, found you on YouTube talking about 
uh, some symptoms that you have if, if you don't have a period, you know, and what you, sh you know, should try to focus on. So, and, you know, because my dad was looking a lot into things related to increasing bone density and how to fix that. And, you know, he just kept seeing that having a menstrual cycle, having proper hormones was key to all of this. So it kind of all looped back to, although the period wasn't, I mean, throughout most of this time, you know, age 12 to 25, I knew that not having a period was good, but at the same time, I was kind of told that I was lucky that I didn't have a period or that, oh, you know, that's it's so convenient. You don't have to deal with that, right? I mean, everyone looks as, as, as if it's a bad inconvenience and now knowing how important and crucial it is. It's I, terrible looking back on that. Um, but, you know, it was kind of this thing that I just can always push to the back. But once my dad started bringing to light, okay, you need hormones for your bones, you need it for your muscles, you need it for your injuries, you need it for overall longevity and health, for preventing metabolic disease, all these things that are kind of longer term and hard to see right in the moment, but are so crucial to your health and well-being. I think, you know, that was important to hear, but... Um, I mean, it really was like, it's the the menstrual cycle piece, like he he must have kept coming back to sounds like this is 80% of the problem. Like if yes. we can get this going and, and we cannot continue forward without getting this going. Like, it doesn't yes. sound like there's anything you can do without this. Like we have to get this. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. he's so logical, right? He has a, a very logical brain where of course- hey, this we is need more we of need. that. <laughs> yes. He goes, this is what we need. This is going to be the key. And it, it you know, it's funny because to do that, you have to be in a well-fed, high-energy state, right? Sufficient energy coming in. So you really do have to attack the underlying cause, the, the eating disorder, the malnutrition, whatever it is that you're dealing with to get the menstrual cycle. But my dad was like, we just need to focus on getting the menstrual cycle, whatever that takes. Maybe it's just a little bit of an increase in, in food and weight and whatever. I mean, we knew the steps that needed to be taken, but it was, oh, this is that was making sense. <laughs> yes. This is making sense. And you're going to get to this point, but that's where like, I, I'm not even gonna I'm I'm just guessing what happened but I'll let you I'm just gonna let you tell oh I wanted to hear your I wanted to hear <laughs> well your I just I here. so I guess so then we must have met and then you had tasks you had to complete and those were very difficult and it started to become more clear that you couldn't tackle this without taking tackling the eating disorder first so that's, that's why, yes. so then you and I actually stopped meeting what, though we did do a lot of like regular check-ins here and there, mm -hmm. you went and tackled your eating disorder after yep. realizing why can't I take these steps that this person is giving me? Okay. No, it's, that is spot on. So that, yes, brings me to meeting with you, right? I set up my initial intake and came in and explained my background, basically what I've talked about today. And you started to provide, you know, the coaching and plan for recovery as you would for any other HA person coming in, whether they had an eating disorder or not, whether they wanted to get pregnant or not, you know, just sort of let's get you to the point where we think you're going to start getting a cycle, a regular cycle. And I was like, that's great. That's exact. That's perfect. But like you said, as soon as you started giving me the steps and you were explaining, oh, you're going to have to, you know, increase the, the calories and the types of food you're eating and then you're probably going to need to stop exercising or at least reducing it taking down the intensity I mean because I was still lifting every day when I first yeah. met you and I was still doing bike rides and doing these things and I and I I just I couldn't fathom 
stopping all of that, you know, to get my period back. I just had that thought of why is this, why is that the way to do it? You know, as many of us yeah. do. So as, yeah, as you mentioned, I tried for, I don't know, what maybe it three or four months, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Some amount of months. And yeah, like it was, uh, you were having a hard time going a long amount of time without falling back on your behaviors. Yes. Right. I have like a week, a week or two and I report back and I go, oh, I had a, I had a week where I ate some more and I only exercised, you know, three or four times this week rather than five to seven. Right. And that was improvement. It was good. It's but... not going to cut it though. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I keep falling back. That's exactly right. You know, I could maybe maintain that for a week or two, three, and then, you know, week later, start falling back into old habits, whether it was just, you know, reducing intake or exercising more or just, you know, and then at the time too, I still think I was really struggling with sleep a lot too. And I know that was a huge, you know, aspect of trying to recover was get the sleep going well to try to reduce the stress to try to, you know, tackle the anxiety, try to do these other things on top of the food and, and the reducing exercise. It was also how can we reduce stress? Cause that was a huge thing in my life that I think was preventing me from being able to attack the other components of recovery and yes I mean what a, it's such a nasty cycle because I'm pretty sure it was um every time something acutely stressful would happen you're just like no like I need my I need like my pacifiers right yes and then and, and it's like well how do we get out of this cycle <laughs> right you know yep. yeah mm-hmm no, that's what it was. It was just that back and forth. And I think I would always mention to you some life event or something that would come up that would be stressful. And then I would mm. slowly those those behaviors would creep back in. So it was, yeah, it was interesting, right? Starting with you and then sort of being, you know, I what happened was I actually, once I stopped working with you formally, I think I kind of had relapsed because I was dealing with a little bit stressful time with trying to get a job and trying to figure out where I'm going to be living and trying to, you know, sort out all these different things. Um, and so I, you know, that I kind of fell back into my behaviors and I was thinking, well, I can't work with Danny if I'm still deep in the ED. I'm not going to be able to tackle what she's giving me if I can't even get over this, this, this huge blockade that's right in front of me now uh when okay so that was I can't remember when I started I mean I still was in contact with you at the time yeah we would we would catch up every couple months and just like touch base with what you're at and it it was kind of just like a good uh reflection check-in point yes um for you like this is how things are going you know, and right. this is like what's tough, and to just talk about it like with someone other than your dad, because at yes. the time you were firm that yes. no one in your personal life other than your dad, because you didn't have boyfriends at the time, right. would be would be allowed, like would be someone that you could have this conversation with. So correct, and yes. you couldn't have all the conversations with your dad. Yes, that's okay. That is so true. That's a good. That's a good turning point because that was always hard for me talking about my my issues my struggles with I only trusted my dad to go really you know deep into those into those topics then when I met you it was great because I had someone else to talk to and explain what I'm going through who understood and I'd gone through a very similar experience and so I think I slowly started realizing that that I probably needed to share with people and I think I remember asking you I said I kind of want to tell because I had 
you know, I had long-term friends who had known me through most of, you know, middle school, high school and, and on and known me through this whole eating disorder. None of them had any idea. I mean, maybe they had assumptions that I had an eating disorder, but none of them had ever, I'd never told them verbally that I did. And I had never told anyone close to me, no, no even extended family, right? Just my dad and my mom knew about it. My brother didn't really even know that much about it. He kind of had an idea, but didn't, I never talked to him about it. And so I asked you, you know, I said, Danny, should I start telling my friends if, if you know, about my situation? Because it might, because I think I was worried that I wasn't able to be up in Flagstaff climbing and doing all the things with them. And I think I asked you, well, if I, if I told them, would it make me feel better about it? And I can't remember what you had, how you'd responded to that, but. That was probably like, yes. Right. You know, I, <laughs> I remember wanting you to, because yes. you were worried about losing them as a friend because you were yes. having to say no to right. events. And if you keep saying no, what if they think like they just stop inviting you? And the right. only way around that is to be like, hey, I'm going through something right now. I mean, even just as vague as that but please yes. still invite me, but I'm going to, yes. I have to say no for a while, but you know, it, that was just uncomfortable. And that's okay. Yep. Yep. No, that's exactly what it was. It was this constant thought in my mind of, Oh, what if they exactly, what if they stop inviting me, but they don't know what I'm going through. They just think I'm injured. You know, that, that was always what I said. I, I'm just dealing with some injuries, but after a year plus of dealing with some injuries and your friends are kind of questioning, why aren't, Suspicious. why is it coming up? Right. And and then it just started to make more logical sense to tell them what I was going through. But yet it was this weird conflict of, I, I want to tell them, but at the same time, I'm afraid. You and I don't want to like want them to, to see you in a different or a weird yes. way. Yes. Because you have lots of guy friends. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, a- all right, boys, boys, I'm going to sit you down. We're having a conversation. Like it's not the same as sitting down with your female friends in many ways. I feel like I, in some ways I could see it being a little easier because no girls are going to be like, you know, saying something about their menstrual cycle. That's like annoying (laughs) to hear, but yeah, that's so true. I mean, that is, that's a good point, (laughs) right? Trying to go to your guy friends and explain the situation they go, the the, the response is just, Okay yeah well they'd probably be like why are you telling us this <laughs> like I'm so uncomfortable but that's why it's just like um I think I think if I were you I probably I don't know why but I think I'd go the eating disorder route because yeah. people know more like widely yes. more known about yep. um yep. and they understand the connection between yes. the exercise and the eating disorder more than they do about the yes and that is the route I took that's the route I took even with with my when I fr- my friends who are girls because as you said, to them, if they don't have a lot of knowledge information about their period, it's just this annoyance that they have to deal with every month, right? That's what they think. <laughs> yeah. something and they I, all think, I, they're like, my period comes exactly 33 days. And it's, and it's like, first of all, no, it doesn't. Right. Second of all, you have no idea if you ovulate. You're, you're like, you're telling me you have a period, but I don't know if it's any good. So I just right. like, don't even like, so stop. Because people don't think that way. I think that way. Yes. But most other most other good people like listening to this podcast are just hearing their friends say, I have my period. And right. they're assuming that it's fine when right. it's actually probably not just statistically. Yes. But anyway, we digress. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, I even I talked to some of my, my girlfriends and they had mentioned that they go, oh, yeah, I, 
I sometimes get where I'll just lose my period for a month or two and I just go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So you kind of are almost dealing with HA as well. And it's so, it's so rampant, you know, it's out there everywhere. And I think that's the problem when someone just says, oh, I have a period, you know, and you know nothing about it. It's, you just assume, oh, how come they can do these things, right? They can do this and they can do that and they can have their period. And I did tons of that. It's the tiniest little speck of information that we just right. build this whole story in our minds around other people and their lives and their health and it's insanity you know it's so true yeah no that's exactly uh, okay. right okay so you were getting and, support so we yes. so we were chatting back to yes. the time so you and yep. i were chatting um mm-hmm. at that time you were psyching yourself up to tell people you're getting there doing that but you had gone to at what point did you start doing the formal program to get help with your ED? Yeah. And actually I forgot to point was I did meet my boyfriend. Um, it would have been about a year and a half ago at this point. And he was actually the first person I told outside of my dad and you. So nice. because to me, it wasn't fair to be uh, in a relationship with someone and not given this information. You know, I was thinking it's like, I right? need you to know that yes. I'm crazy. And just a little we're going through some stuff yes and, and i you're think coming with me <laughs> exactly and i and then you kind of get to know all right does this person if if they just completely get caught off guard and back off you go okay this might not be the right relationship to be in so it's a good gauge in some ways but i cannot express the amount of support and care and love that he gave me and it was so helpful to have someone you know, outside of my, my dad, because, you know, with, with your parents, you just expect unconditional love, right? But with someone who is outside of that, and they still love you unconditionally, even if you're changing and going through this huge, to you, huge life crisis. I mean, it's this big shift. It's kind of nice to have that support and care and encouragement to keep going. And that's exactly what he what he provided me with. And that was new to me. I hadn't experienced that because I had never told anyone, right? I didn't realize that anyone could be as on board with the situation other than my dad and someone I was seeking out help from, you know, like you are any other kind of therapist or doctor or anything, right? So that was, that was big for me. And I think that was a huge part in kind of being able to keep going. So after kind of telling him, I felt more confident to then tell friends and just start sharing. It got easier. And for me, oddly enough, as scared as I was to do it, sharing my story was a huge part in kind of kickstarting the recovery because now people knew. I think that's what you did, right? I mean, you shared your story openly and you're now everyone knows what I'm doing. So if I gain weight and I look different and I have to stop exercising for this moment in my life, they know why and it's okay. Yeah. I mean, like SM Brene Brown stuff, right? Like shame thrives in the dark when yeah. you bring light on it and the thing is right shame is what is getting in the way of action that we're that we could be taking mm-hmm. right it's like what if people think this or see this and it just doesn't work out but as soon as you lift the veil rip the band-aid off and everyone knows mm-hmm. what's going on it's exponentially more easy to take action and stick with the plan right yeah. but it's that first step and you know you still i see a lot of people um, I feel like most people do not share enough about the issue and what they're going through. And I can see a huge difference between the people going through recovery. And I'm not saying like publicly, but like they're sharing with most of the people that it's important to share with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a huge difference in their overall experience. 
Hey, are you trying to recover and maybe even fall pregnant naturally? I thought that might be you. And if so, we have created our best ever yet resource for you. Totally free. This is a masterclass. I've called it my masterclass because I have put everything into this, right? This masterclass is designed for you if you have HA or have had HA and are dealing with suboptimal cycles and you're serious about restoring those babies to full optimization and you want to create the ideal foundation for a pregnancy. This is going to be for you. So in this masterclass, I'm going to provide you a lot of things, including a lot of case studies, mine, Ashley's and Mishi's, as well as lots of our past clients and what their challenges were and what they had to do to overcome it. And we cover a really wide variety of types of cases of HA. So everything from primary amenorrhea and missing periods for years and years to short-term amenorrhea and what we did to handle that situation as well and how long it took these people to go from HA to pregnant with this system and how long it took them to go from HA to ovulating of course with this system so lots of information lots of case studies lots of stats we go through why this is not a weight gain plan and how we actually divide you into phases the three phases of HA and determine what your starting point is so that you have a good idea of where you need to start with your actual changes and lifestyle and nutrition changes. We even cover questions like HA and people with a normal BMI and recovery for people who have had HA for too long. There's so much in this 60 minute masterclass. Y'all, I'm impressed. And at the end, I'll also be running you through how to get a free HTMA, hair tissue mineral analysis through us, which is a part of our process for recovery and preconception clients that we're happily going to give you for free 99 as a massive thank you, of course, for joining the masterclass. So go to the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass or head to our website and you'll find a link for it and find when the next available presentation is going to be. That's the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass. Yep. No, I agree. Um, and I think all of this is just kind of leading to the first point of advice of trying to build a support group. Cause I always had the intention. I think many people out there struggling with anything related to HA and eating disorders and anything on that spectrum think I can do this on my own. I can get through this. I can do this on my own. You know, I'm, I'm strong willed person. I can do that. And I thought the same thing and I didn't think I needed any, any help, you know, or anyone uh, then realized that building a support system was just the start of recovery and it's just crazy how even after doing all of that it's still how extremely difficult the recovery process was so that was kind of the first step was starting to find people i trusted and could bring on board with this whole you know project almost i want to call it uh of recovery and i think that sort of once i started telling people and sharing my story and i had you on board and i had my boyfriend and i had my friends now knowing i felt okay I can probably start taking some steps toward recovery. And when I wasn't formally meeting with you, I, it was difficult because I, you know, there were weeks I'd have the, the ED tendencies come in where I would be restricting a little bit more, you know, skipping breakfast was 
a big thing still kind of doing these inadvertent fasting you know periods where i just be not eating enough i still was working out i still i would maybe cut out i think i started cutting out cardio but still lifting a bunch you know throughout the week pretty intensely um but i was doing these behaviors right that i thought where i was like oh i cut out cardio you know oh i you know maybe i ate a little bit later in the day like i ate more food later in the day even if i didn't have breakfast and it was these small behaviors that i kind of had to do to just dip my toe into the into the pool of recovery because I couldn't fathom kind of doing an all in approach or something related to just fully diving in. And that sort of, I guess, started the my in my mind that I was doing this for me, I guess that was another big mental shift was I need to sort of start recovering for me. And it was just the buildup of everything I had been through in my life and the previous attempts and you know, it's just everything's building. It's never, you know, I think some people maybe experience, uh, oh, this one moment, you know, I decided that I was going to recover. I don't know. I didn't entirely have that. I had like multiple rock bottoms and a lot of build up and a lot of recover, relapse, recover, relapse. And I think that is probably more common that what people deal with. But, you know, so that kind of started it. I think doing small, minute changes uh, to sort of build up to feeling comfortable with adding more food or reducing exercise. And I think once I started feeling comfortable doing that, I got to a point where I, and this for me was huge. I started adding like half a protein bar and, and some like pecans in the morning with my black decaf coffee. And that was huge. I mean, just starting to add in something within an hour or so of waking up. I, I mean, I hadn't done that for years and years and years. And I thought, you know, that was a really big step for me, just doing something small like that. And to the point where I was consistently doing it, you know, like every every day for a, a couple months, I think I had been doing that for about two months. And, and I think I was even reducing my exercise a little, not to the point where I was taking it out, but I think I was lifting maybe three or four times a week, but then like walking on the other days and not lifting every day of the week. And I think, once I started getting to that point of upping calories, upping food a little bit, not fasting, that's when I think I started meeting with you more formally again. And I was thinking so that was more recent then. That was I like, think that was, yeah, that was more I recent. I think, you know, actually what it was, was I was kind of, I was communicating back and forth with you a little bit more, just like the email and mm-hmm. telling you well, kind you of what I was doing. The course. You had also decided to start the hab course so we were like yes um which was cool because that's right uh that information i i'm like this is a side tangent at first when we started the holistic aj practitioner certification hab Mm -hmm. we were like people should like while we can't control it and it's fine like Mm -hmm. like if people want to do it while they have ha fine was like our Mm -hmm. stance like fine you know are we going to recommend they work? They coach people? No. Can they do it? Yes. But now I'm starting to shift my tune and be like, I actually think it's great to do it if you have HA. I'm curious what you think about that. But just like there are people who have been recovering, who are getting pregnant that were in the course. And I'm like, is there something about the way the information is being presented, like the way you're working through it from a from the perspective of, like these are the facts and this is how like coaching yourself I don't know what do you think 
So that, that's, yes, very good question. Cause that you're right. Before I started working with you formally again, I did start the HAP course. And I just remember you were kind of encouraging me to sort of look into it and do it. Maybe just more for the information, as you said, maybe not the coaching. Well, yeah, like I had a hunch that the information was going to be helpful for people, but I wasn't a hundred, 150,000% certain mm -hmm. that, um, yeah, like I didn't have any evidence that right. it was going to be super helpful for people yeah. who mm -hmm. are currently going through it. Um, yeah. Because like, you just don't know anything until you see it. But I did kind of th think, feel like what could possibly hurt? Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Like, but And that's true because when I entered the, the HAP course and I fully committed to taking this course to then do the practicum to coach people and get certified to help people get out of HA or, you know, at least get a healthy menstrual cycle or help people wanting to get pregnant or something. It was this, that was the end goal. And in my mind, I just had extreme imposter syndrome going into it because I had the thought I'm dealing with primary amenorrhea that I haven't recovered from yet, yet I'm taking a course to help people come out the other side of HA or primary memory or whatever, I haven't done it yet. So that you're right. I mean, the first, I think the first month or two of that course, I just was constantly doubting myself and wondering why I was, was taking it. But the more I was in it, it was almost like this extra push to sort of go, I need to be recovered by, I actually kind of had the thought, I need to be recovered by the end of this course before I start trying to coach people, it was almost mm -hmm. this extra goal on top of wanting to kind of recover to get back to climbing and sport and, you know, just be healthier in general. I had the thought, well, I should probably recover to be able to help people recover because if I haven't done, I don't actually entirely know myself how it feels and the struggle and everything if I yeah. didn't fully commit to that. So I do think it was completely worthwhile and helpful so in that sense. Okay. Well, so then that's when we started chatting to get you. So yeah, you had just gone walls to the wall serious at that point you were like I'm doing everything let's go so yes. um and you had kind of skipped over it a little bit I think but you had done a program for like you had also gotten yes. help you had your therapist you had a support group for the ED stuff that yes. helped you as well get to a point where you are now actually ready to implement change and I just think yes. that's a really important piece to insert. no good yeah actually yeah bring me back to that that was that's good I did you're right before I met with you again and kind of starting the HAP course I that's exactly right I was seeking out therapists for kind of actually a little bit after I first met with you going into that I started seeking out therapists worked with a few didn't work and then found a really good one started working with her weekly then started working with psychiatrists to deal with the anxiety side of side of everything. And then I did jump into this um, anorexia. It was actually a course for like quasi to full recovery for people dealing with anorexia, which I thought was really interesting because it wasn't if you were, you know, deep, deep in the disorder. Yeah, it was very, very specific, meaning you had already been taking steps. You have acknowledged you're dealing with this problem and you now are saying, OK, I, I really need to just get over that last hump of, you know, from being in this kind of limbo state yeah. of recovery do you do you like recommend that program do you want to shout it out or do you feel uh, like yeah yeah know? actually I think I don't know if they're running I mean I think she's running another uh round of it but it's this woman who um has this company called let's recover um her I, her name is escaping let's me at recover. the moment 
but yeah if you look at what's recover then yeah uh the quasi recovery to full recovery i don't know if she's running another one soon but she definitely thought the first round went well and i enjoyed the experience it's just you get to connect with a lot of people who are dealing with similar issues um more related to you know eating disorder okay. specific i found it yeah is it letsrecover.co.uk yes yes yeah okay cool so there's a thing for anyone who's like oh, I'm in that limbo. How do I get there? Kind of thing. Yes. All right. Love it. Yes. So that with the therapy, with the psychiatry, with the friends, with the boyfriend, with Danny. I mean, it's just, it really takes a village. People. It really does. And I think that's just something that I hope one, I know it's hard to, for everyone to have access to that. Obviously, you know, it is resources and stuff, but if you can just find some people who are close to you, friends, family that you don't have to pay for, and you can, you know, talk about these things with, um, you know, that's, that's great to reach out to people who maybe are on your podcast, Danny. I feel like that's another thing. I mean, I'd be fine with people doing that as well, yes. but creating the support system is, is really good. And so, yeah, once I started doing that, eat, that eating disorder recovery course, um, and then was working with my therapist, then you're right. I did basically cut out all lifting. I stopped lifting. I was just going on walks. There were even some days I didn't do anything, which for me was like monumental. I mean, I just remember, how difficult that was at the time. I mean, it seemed impossible, but slowly was able to start doing that, started eating more, started adding more variety to my diet. I know I'm saying these things as if they were really easy and kind of just going point by point by point. I want to make a statement that none of this was easy. And, you no, know, yeah. I mean, I'll share from my perspective. So then we started meeting together again and we did food, food reviews where, mm -hmm. so we have people take photos of their food so we can see, cause like, I want to see Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing? You know, right. I need to understand. And there was tons of things you like still needed to shift, right? Like your, the way you were eating food was still um, in like a safe, comfortable yes. way. And yep. those boundaries needed to be pushed. Like you weren't just like, you know, suddenly I want a hundred thousand percent different person mm. with them. We're providing that feedback. And like, the thing is, you started doing it like you know to the best of your ability which is mm -hmm. the opposite to what happens to people who are not on the other side yet of the main part of their ed is that they will not take the action to the best of their ability and that's yep. the, that's where we get we get stuck so like now when we intake people because things have changed for us since like mm -hmm. two years ago too right so now when we intake people we and sometimes they slip through the cracks you know because mm -hmm. a lot of people with ADs are not like necessarily seeing that they're not that, right. that they're on not on the other side of that um but yeah we it's like you you do need to be at a certain point because we give instruction and while we will guide and listen and talk through what's difficult our expectation of you is that you are implementing to the best of your ability right yes and that is where you were at yes. which is great yeah yeah no that's crucial if you don't get through you don't address a lot of the ed behaviors first it's extremely difficult to have the goal of beating the amenorrhea because that seems secondary at the time you know if you can't get because typically the ed is is you know some complete mental you know um blockade basically where you 
you're using it as this this tool to sort of heal everything in, in your you know that you're mentally dealing with and it's a very bad tool because it has just downstream detrimental effects where yeah in the moment it makes you feel good and maybe gives you that relief and that you know break from the anxiety or the worry but long term not a good solution so I just yeah I, if I didn't address that first it was so hard to have the goal of getting my period back because there's also women out there who write where they want to get pregnant you know today they want you know they want that to happen asap and i didn't have that so that to me i didn't have that extra push i didn't really have you know but that's not to say there weren't a multitude of other reasons i mean i had the bone issue i had just the lack yeah. of hormones and everything but to to so the ones that you when you can't see them right when it's all like inside internal in your body and you can't see that it's hard to just immediately attack that first if you can't attack the the mental distress part of it so Exactly. Yeah. So I think yeah. that, yeah, that was huge. And that's when I started really heavily working with you and getting, you know, the, the more amenorrhea advice side of everything to try to get out of, out of the primary amenorrhea piece of it. So, mm. um, and I think, I don't know how long we were working together, but I was fairly it dedicated. It couldn't have been long. It no. couldn't have been long because the course only like just finished. So right. It, I mean, you're on cycle four. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, spoiler alert. Yes. But <laughs> you're on cycle four. So, you know, whatever. It must have been like five or six months ago or something like that. Right. So, right. I mean, I think that was really cool. I mean, I, so let's just like go there now. Okay. So yeah. you did the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously she just needed to keep increasing her food, challenging her rules, food, food, nourishment, nourishment. And side note, what's so cool is how much the body wants to do this. So at the age of, you just say, at the age of what, you had your first cycle? Oh, yeah. Uh, at age 27, uh, and, and plus some months, honestly, uh, got my first ever period naturally, which was kind of mind-blowing. Crazy. I didn't think it was possible. I mean, I... <laughs> I literally have never even, not even a pill-induced bleed. You have never seen blood no. exit from... Yeah. In- your vagina so that is huge I, like yeah that I I fully celebrated for you because that is crazy like it's so yeah cool you were like oh I bet you were like oh my god it works the information is true <laughs> it is really true. it really is so for anybody out there I mean who's 20 early 20s late 20s I mean at 27 getting my period back I feel like that should show that it is back it is possible. you literally never had it you don't even no. get to say got you're right back. didn't get it back I didn't get it back you're right I got it <laughs> for the first you time you went through puberty okay so yep. so can you just like walk me through that moment like you woke up that like what happened Oh, it's complete. I, I okay, did we so, know? Did we know you had ovulated, or was were we? Was it an ovulatory? Let me look uh, at it. I wasn't temping before that first one. The first oh, bleed, that's remember? right. Yeah, that's, that's right. The other okay, thing. So we did. That's the thing. Coming. Start okay. temping. Start temping earlier than you think you need to be. I think I didn't yeah. temp because remember we were saying that. Well, we were trying to keep it was, you sane. Yeah, exactly. It was just some other measurement. Yeah, I mean, I like, straight up, I actually wasn't expecting. Yeah, you, I wasn't expecting you to get it at that time. No way. Right. I was, so I was like, yeah. let's not even do that, and let's get you just following the the steps and doing the things. 
and just adjusting the food. And then when we're in a groove, we'll stop temping. That's right. Yep. But then, yep. That's what okay. it was. We yes. kind of All just right. left that piece off. So, so it was, so it was July 5th, actually. <laughs> I, I remember yeah. the day. That's right. It was pretty That's important. Right. Yes. <laughs> so it was July 5th. It was actually in the evening. And I just, I don't know. I had, I, I didn't think it was real. I don't know. So I had some spotting and I just didn't, I didn't think it was I don't know. I was confused. I was like, this has to be something nah. else. So I, maybe I just like <laughs> cut my leg or something. And, you know, I don't know. Right. I just, I was so. Side note, always our favorite thing. And, and Ashley, Mishi and I text each other. We're like, we had another client who thinks that they accidentally fell and hit their vagina on a sharp object and just suddenly started bleeding and is in denial. <laughs> Yes. But yes. Okay. I mean, go on. That's what I thought. So I, you know, because it wasn't much. It was just a little bit of spotting. But I, uh, I did send the picture because I was so. I was like, Danny, is this actually happening? Is this? <laughs> it was like full is, on. You were like, yeah, yeah that's one hundred percent. And then because I didn't believe it before, I, I had sent. I was. I was just thinking this is not real. And like I sent you guys, it to you. Like she sent me a photo. Uh, was it toilet paper or was it underwear? You sent me no, a photo. It was underwear. You sent me a, she sent me a photo of period underwear and was like, is this it? Just not even like needed. No, you know, what I, mean? uh, I just, I just can't imagine you getting that text and me. Like, How did you not think that was it? But I yeah, just, but me being I like, know. what else would this be? But like, that's like, Danny, this how, can't be it. that's how, yeah, that's how you, you just know I'm injured. <laughs> Yes. So, I mean, obviously I was in disbelief. I mean, I had, I had no idea and I just thought it was, I was some, I don't know, it was random spotting. That's not actually your period. Cause I remember hearing about that too. I was like, maybe it's just not, um, you, but then the next day just full on like normal period bleed. Right. And I was <laughs> blown away. I, I was okay. Danny's Crazy. right. It's actually happening. This is, this, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was. Did you like? Crazy. Like, did you like? Was your boyfriend home? Where were you? Did you? Yeah. yeah did you yeah. call? Did you call your dad? Like all it's, the things. I, so I actually I texted my mom first and I said, "Is this, you know, a period or is it just spotting?" And and she texted back. She said, "Well, I don't know. Maybe it's just spot, spotting." She had a very just mild reaction. Yeah, and but so like, that that's was your mom. Initially, We've talked about your mom. Yeah, and that's initially what I was thinking, oh, this must not be it then because, you know, she said it wasn't really. So I think that My mom would do off. the same thing. Yeah. My mom would totally do the same thing. My mom is just like, please just like don't get excited because yes. our moms just want us to just like. Not not be, be over, yes. Just in case you get let down. I know. Yeah. Don't talk to moms. <laughs> So I, I sent her the same picture and I said, is, you know, so she has seen it. And I think she just had this very, she was like, oh, just don't forget to, you know, like clean, clean your underwear off one time. And I was like, oh, okay. So is this okay. not my period? No. I'm so All confused. Right. This one's disappointing me. Give me a better one. Yeah. Well, it's, so that's the thing. So then I texted my dad and I said, hey, I think I, I don't know, I spotted or something. And he was just blown away. He was like, oh my gosh, this is it. It's happening. Holy cow. And I, but I had, you know. It was so, it was annoying because I kind of had that, that what my mom said and then my dad was all excited. And then when I texted you and you'd said it, I think that was really when I just had this huge cheer. And, I, and that's when I told my boyfriend, I said, Danny, Danny said I have a period. So this is awesome. And then my, my boyfriend and I were just like in the apartment, just cheering and we were both blown away. And so Aww, I, I mean, love that. That that's when it was actually just your, your I think response. I probably replied with like, 
yes it was just all yeah. caps lots of exclamation points i said okay yeah, this cool, has cool. to be real then so <laughs> it was more of your confirmation of it and then the next day was kind of the next day was really when it set, settled in when i actually saw full bleed i i you know like, had the, oh, oh okay i don't is... like this <laughs> well no no i mean i was totally okay with it. that was the thing right i mean you're not i'm not annoyed with it yet and i you know i think once you go through all that you're just so thankful yeah. that it's happening and yeah so, so the next cool. day was was really you know that's when i really I actually went over to my parents house the next day and then we all just like celebrated my brother was over and we like just celebrated <laughs> i mean it was great i mean it was it was funny and i actually my brother was very happy for me which was kind of fun so you know he's little brother uh, but a lot of support i i appreciated that a uh, lot um but yeah my makes my, my freaking day <laughs> makes my freaking day i love it so, you yeah. made my day like that and i remember I, that i text ashley and me she and i was like <laughs> suck and then i think i went to my husband like just all hippo, all hippo oh, out of it, totally gone. I was like, I'm okay with that. Thanks, okay Sammy. With that. And then I have to sit him down. I have to explain. So the primary like, menorrhea, it means you've never had a period before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no, cool. I mean, so it was cool. pretty wild. Ah, oh, best. Yeah, and so wild. also, so then she starts temping. Oh no. So you actually had started temping just before you got the period I thought or or was it the next during it it was during it it was was during that okay so then we had you had started yeah you had started again probably a week and a half or so after because Mm -hmm. you had only gotten then a couple days before you ovulated again right that's right Right. and I was like okay so because you had only started temping for a couple days I didn't have enough information so Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if you had ovulated again like you had and I was like, it was like pretty good. And you have like yeah. this pretty good amount of bleeding. Then the yeah. next one, you just had like, on like cycle day 18, you ovulate like long enough luteal phase. I think they've gotten better every month. And this month you had like 14 days. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I mean- this chick just went like 27 <laughs> years. And then, and then her body was like, oh, okay. Do, 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 yes. Do. It, and like it, everything's it, like optimal. <laughs> When I don't know, I just when you keep hearing that your body is always trying to menstruate, it's always trying, it's always trying. And I just thought that was BS. I did not believe that. I was like, no, it's not. It just shut everything shut down. I can no, actually see it not trying at all. <laughs> it wasn't giving me any effort. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> you it did is. have that. You were very much like, why is my body not doing it? And it's oh, like, yeah, uh, I think it's you not doing it for your body. So I much your doubt. Body... I had so much doubt. Yes, it, you're right. I had it backward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your body's actually like, why are you doing this to us? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so cool. So cool. So mm-hmm. excited. So happy. My probably like top ten, top five, top three stories. Maybe yeah. it's maybe it's number one. Um, just <laughs> such a cool, just such a cool story in every way. Like I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm uh... I love it. It's quite the experience. And, uh, you're, you're not you're not yet back to nope. full on sports and stuff like no. that. There's still a journey there. But this was that whole like 80% mountain thing, yes. right? That was yep. so important to have out of the way. And yep. now you get to go and actually try and do all of those um those things that you were doing yes. earlier, but hopefully right. get results. Like you're at PT now, you're doing this stuff. Yes. 
Yep. And I want to stress that. I think a lot of people, when they get the period, you know, it's, you think you're done. Like I've recovered. I actually was almost, I think a couple weeks, the, the time we met after I got my first period, when we met, remember I was not in the best mental space. I just felt, I, cause I assumed everything was going to be better. Right. And it's so silly to think that. Yeah. But I had that after thought. the first one, after the yes. first period, you were like, why are all my problems still here? Yes. <laughs> so it actually, I, I felt really bad after I was, I, I just kind of had the thought, why did I do all this? You know, what was the point? And I think people out there probably have that thought, but don't let yourself go down that spiral. I mean, I did want to go back. I was thinking, all right, this is terrible. It's not working. You know, I was doing sport before this. Why would I continue? Don't believe it. That's, that's the ED. It was everything coming back into my brain to try to tell me to, to go back. And so it's been, it's, I think recovery, yes, you have to recover to get your period, but real recovery to get back to the things you want to do starts after you get it. So I'm, I still, I'm still in recovery. 100 percent I mean, yeah dude this is, i have i have not like you said i'm not back i'm still getting i still am dealing with a lot of injuries i'm still trying to get over a lot of that but now i have the foundation and the tools to hopefully you know get back to sport get back to doing the activities i want to do now with the the thing was i had to heal the mental side because if i got back if i did jump back into all that too soon i think i would have it would have been really easy to relapse and just go kind of right back into old behaviors so uh after you get your first period just warning uh it's it's still there's a lot of work to do a lot yeah I'm still doing it there's still plenty to do yeah 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 so true you're just at a different level you know yep. mm -hmm. um uh, mentally stronger so now <laughs> I mean yeah I hope so like you you know I think the the one thing you get is like uh evidence of your plan kind of thing mm -hmm. um and if things start to go backwards then you kind of know how to get out of it but like yes. your story's so cool where you thus far haven't gone backwards at all which yes. is like not super typical <laughs> right uh, for someone with your history it's usually like let's go back in the other direction but yep. i think that's just a testament to like the amount of time you spent working on the mental side of things and like yeah you know, you and I alone had so many conversations and then I, obviously you had so many with your partner and with your therapist and mm -hmm. with your dad that like, you know, the pattern. Yep. I started catching it early. If I would go you back, it would be, a, you know, a week and then all of a sudden it'd be a few days and I'd go, oh, I'm going back into that. You start to catch it earlier. Well, now um, last conversation we spoke last week. Now you're like just catching the conversation before yeah. you even before you're even yes. doing the action and that's where it's at because an eating disorder never goes away no you mm -hmm. just learn how to navigate it instead of it navigating you and exactly. that is the difference and with time it's going to get quieter quieter yes. you know and that's just and anybody that's out there at. going through it just know it does it does happen it seems impossible it doesn't seem like it's going to happen but it it definitely does but you have to put in a lot of work I mean it was not a it's not like a really like it's easy, going to have to be process. a priority like you may yeah. have to put other things on hold right now to and this. I did yeah mm -hmm. yeah no you yeah. have to you kind of have to prioritize your health physically and mentally first and know that even 
if you do get the period back sooner then you maybe recover the mental side of things uh keep working on on that because that's that's the more important piece you know yes work on that and the your ability to implement recovery instructions will follow right yep. you but you 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 cannot do it without the other you know uh we think that women with eds trying to just work on period recovery instead of their eds it's a distraction it's a agreed it's a way for you to work on something without truly working on the problem um and you just can't do that so mm-hmm. Yep. We see you. Um, you have started a podcast that I think is going to be a great place for anyone who resonates with your story um, to go and listen. And yes. I've heard the first few episodes. I know you released one earlier this week. So what is your show? Um, where can people find it? All that good stuff. Yeah. So I I started a podcast recently called Recover, Rewire, Repeat. It's on Apple Podcast and Spotify and i've released i think i have a trailer episode and three three full episodes i do go a lot more in depth on my story in there um obviously hard to get touch on everything today in one podcast but my plan with my own with my own podcast is to sort of use each episode to dive a little deeper into my story to provide more advice more help very specific to i would say yeah it's very specific to anorexia and primary amenorrhea and amenorrhea in general but um you know i think anyone could benefit from hearing this how to deal with you know the the mental side of things the stress the anxiety the worry um how to attack any on any spectrum of an ed you know i think there's definitely i i i'm going based off my experience right which is with specifically anorexia and primary amenorrhea but I think there's a lot of other things to learn and other tips in there that could be helpful to anyone out there. So yeah. if you would like to listen, please uh, go check out Recover, Rewire, Repeat. Um, I do have an Instagram recover, too. Rewire, yeah. Also yeah. Recover, Rewire, Repeat. Yep. Yep. All one word, just all together. Okay. There you go, and... guys. Definitely check it out. Yeah. Thank you, Sammy. Thanks so much for having me on today, Danny. I really had a good time. Yes, me too. So appreciate it. This was great. Um, yeah, guys, go check that out. Um, if you have any questions, if maybe you're it's a year later and you hear this a year after it's published and you're wondering if Sammy's working with people or not yet, you know, just send her a DM or send mm-hmm. me a message and I'll pull you guys in touch. Um, or even if you just really, really resonated with her story. And you want to get in touch, uh, I can help connect you. So always yeah, please reach out. Good. Ah, all right. Well, Sammy, you go enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'm going to go do that too. And everyone have a great day and we'll see you guys next week. Hey there, it's me, Danny, and I want to tell you about Temp Drop as a fertility awareness method tracking option. So many of you guys know that we actually recommend the fertility awareness method both as you're going through recovery and 100% after you have gotten some cycles back and you're starting to move forward for the rest of your reproductive years. So TempDrop itself is a wearable fertility monitor and we love it. It's a wearable device so you put it around your arm and you can use that instead of taking your temperature manually with a thermometer each morning. 
So I'm personally a big fan of the manual tracking. All of us at the HA Society are. And that's the method that we use, you know, just using a good old thermometer. We use that with our clients because it's the best way to use it as a diagnostic tool, as a practitioner. And it's also the best way to ensure if you're trying to avoid pregnancy that you don't get pregnant. However, manual temping for many reasons is just not always an option. When you're in the middle of recovery, again, we do recommend manual temping. But once you're cycling, the temp drop is actually a really great hack. So it gives you basically everything you need to effortlessly track your fertility status, like where you are in your monthly cycle. So you wear the temp drop sensor while you're sleeping for accurate basal body temperature readings without the stress of early morning wake-ups. So I personally love this because with a toddler, my wake-up times are all over the place and the occasional sleep disruptions make using an oral thermometer a lot more difficult. So TempDrop's accompanying charting app enables you to track an array of symptoms alongside your basal body temperature. This includes tracking your cervical mucus if you've been using OPKs, and then it also gives you sleep insights too. So you can combine these fertility signs all in one place, and that will help you identify your fertile window, confirm ovulation, plan for your period. And if you're trying to get pregnant, you know, identify whether or not you are pregnant. So whether you're trying to conceive or avoiding pregnancy, or you want to chart for health reasons like HA recovery, making sure your cycle is not slipping back in the HA direction, TempDrop makes fertility awareness accessible to all women, even if you don't have regular cycles or sleeping patterns. So track your ovulation in real time with the TempDrop, and we are lucky enough to have a 15% off code. So if you go to their website, they're usually having a sale, but you can stack this code on top of the existing code. So just go to tempdrop.thehasociety.com and use the code AFHA Society. I think too, if you just go to tempdrop.com and, and use um, AFHA Society at the checkout, that will work too. So happy temping and good luck. This episode is brought to you by Grassland Nutrition Beef Liver Capsules. Did you know that in terms of nutrient density, beef liver actually blows vegetables and fruits out of the water? If you're a client of mine, you have already been instructed to eat beef liver either fresh or in capsule form. I recommend it for anyone and everyone who is, of course, dealing with amenorrhea and fertility challenges out there, but I may even recommend it for just everyone in general. Get your husbands on it. Get your partners on it. If you have a history of HA and add on top of that, maybe a history of the pill, maybe you've been pregnant before, you know, through treatments or other, like you've just, your body's been through anything, you know, you're absolutely 100% dealing with a nutrient deficiency of some kind. And while it's true that testing is going to be the best way to understand those exact deficiencies, Eating nutrient-dense real food is going to be one of the most important next steps that you take with or without testing. So I've been using and recommending Grassland Nutrition Beef Liver Capsules for years now. And the capsule form makes it so easy to get your liver in every day. And I appreciate the transparency of this product in particular above others. 
So in case you're wondering, it's completely natural. This is freeze-dried beef liver in capsules. It's organic. It's made from Australian beef. And my favorite of their products is the liver with kelp because of the iodine from the kelp, which is important for overall thyroid function, which is often low in women with underperforming hormones. So rather than eat seaweed snacks every day, I get to take this beef liver with the kelp for my iodine. So if you're recovering or working on a fertility journey right now, do not skimp the nutrient-rich source of beef liver. Get 10% off your order with the HA Society and support your favorite podcast along the way. They ship to most countries, so you should be covered. Just go to grasslandnutrition.net and use HA Society, just HA Society, at the checkout for the 10% off. That's grasslandnutrition.net with the code HA Society. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could head to iTunes specifically and leave a rating or review, that would help so much because it makes it easier for other people with HA who are Googling around to find the podcast really easily. So if you do that, you're doing a service to all of the women.